This is the Aloha Friday Conversation on Hawaii Public Radio, Hawaii Talks. I'm Noe Tanigawa. The COVID-19 pandemic is focusing our minds on what we truly need, and high on that list is safe, fresh food. Go Farm Hawaii is Hawaii's farmer development program. It started through the University of Hawaii. And if you've ever talked to anybody in it, you see why it's one of the largest and most successful farm starter programs in this country. Pomai Weigert is an agriculture business consultant there with Go Farm Hawaii. She works every day with farmers who grow food right here in Hawaii. We're very vulnerable here in Hawaii. As most people know, we import most of the food that we have. So there's been a really rapid shift in the last two weeks of people trying to source more local food. Local food is not really a trend right now. It's a means of survival. How can people get it nowadays? Yes, yes. So what we did at Go Farm Hawaii is like with all of our partners and all of our fellow organizations, all of our farmers, um, we created a list that's on our website, Find Your Farmer. It will give you a list of all of the farmers that have asked to be listed on each island that are growing food. You know, this is really a time for people to be empowered to know who their farmer is and how to get connected. So every farm is different. Every farmer and farm operates differently. So we're really encouraging people to reach out, make that connection so that you can get food regularly. Uh, A lot of these farms have farm boxes, CSA bags, um, subscriptions. They're also doing pickup. They're doing delivery. FarmLink Hawaii has been an incredible pioneer for this effort, there's a lot of businesses that also aggregate, so they take food from a lot of different farmers and then are able to get it to people. So, do you know where you're getting your food from? Do you know your farmer? Are you vested in your local food system? Tears are coming to my eyes because these are people I want to meet. Yeah, that's great. You know, we're so grateful for our communities, for everyone who have always supported local food, and it's really incredible to see more families, more people and players from the community connecting with their local farmers, their small farms, you know, really just trying to reinvest in each other. That's that's really what we have right now. What kind of challenges do you see um, the farmers themselves running into? Well, we can't grow food fast enough. It actually takes time to grow food. Are they amping up production knowing the situation we're in? I mean, amping up production... But, you know, it's also because, like, demand has changed in seven days. By having more local people want more local food, we're able to grow capacity. Right now, what do you think, Pumai? Give me a strategy. The best place to check first is going to be maybe the GoFarm website. Yes, you know, check out what's on your island and make contact. Get out there and see what is available for yourself. You know, now's the time to really engage. And also, I think on a, on a home level, I feel like a lot of people are, are doing this already, but I've been seeing this a lot more, like, think about growing something. Hey, if I have avocados and you have bananas and you have eggs. Yeah, we can work this out. <laughs> yes. Action of community and caring for each other and knowing where things come from. I think we've lived a very long time, like, not really knowing where everything comes from, especially our food. So we're, we're really grateful. And we're seeing so much change in the consumer um, where it's not just like, oh, a cute thing you do to buy a bag of local food. It's you're doing that because you want to always have food for yourself and your family. We've been cut off from so much. A lot of the economy has just been wiped out. So we're really having to look to each other to support each other. After this, Pomai, 
find out what farms need some help and labor because we got some people lying around here at home. Maybe we can hook them up with some jobs six feet apart in a field. Okay. Yes, totally. I'll, I'll put the word out, yes, because there might be some people who, who could do for a little fresh air. Yeah, okay. Thank you so much, and we'll stay in touch. Thanks so much, Noah. Okay. Talk to you later. Bye-bye. Bye. That was Pomai Weigert of Go Farm Hawaii. The Find Your Farmer list is there on the Go Farm Hawaii website. Super easy to use, island by island. Cannot wait to meet these farmers. If you're looking for farm fresh produce on Maui, it's just a little bit tougher these days. The Swap Meat Farmers Markets closed, the Lipoa and Napili Farmers Markets closed too. Now, the Wednesday market in Kula back open, had a little scuffle there this past Wednesday, but the largest farmers market on Maui is the upcountry market there in Pukalani. It's planning to go on. So I thought I'd check in with Neil Koshiver. He's the manager of this market. It's been pumping over 40 years. They've got 150 farmers regularly represented there. And I asked Neil, hey, give us an idea of the range of produce that you offer there. Everything in the form of produce. But you can't say that. You have to name it. Oh, okay. Komatsuna, Yukina Savoy, Katsoi. Uh, every kind of bean, meaning gandouli or pigeon pea, gandouli beans. You're kidding. Uh, no. And <laughs> you I have, have fresh one. gandouli <laughs> beans? Wow. Yes. And purple lima beans, are also called cow beans with a couple of different names. They're awesome. a huge producer. Uh, the reason why I'm going into these is because it's been a very high topic of conversation as to if you could have three or four items in your garden for your survival, what would you like to have? And so we have sweet potato, we have cassava, we have the beans just mentioned, regular green beans as well, pumpkin, kabocha, other kinds of squashes and pumpkins are sustainable, and potatoes, those are the top. You know, you named three vegetables there that I didn't recognize. Komatsuna is a leafy green, long, light green stem, one single leaf with the rib going up the middle, looks very similar to a Swiss chard, but got much darker. It is my favorite green. After growing food for 50 years, this is the green that I like the best. Why, are uh, you farmers thinking, uh, kind of planning for, like, survival-type planting? No, not necessarily. No, we have been getting creative, and we like to create our own foods. I'm excited because this is all new for us. Right now, as we speak in the dehydrator, are the lima beans I was talking about, the purple lima beans. Yeah. And they're very large. They produce five large beans to a pod. We take that, we make several different kinds of food from it, which are protein-based. And today is our day of, of trying this. We are taking a huge amount, and it's in the dehydrator now, put it in a blender, turn it into flour, and make pasta, or you can make wonton, or you can make ravioli, or pot stickers, all kinds of things like that. <laughs> well, so, you kind of have the time now, too, I guess. But, I mean, you're, yeah, you're starting yeah. out by growing the lima beans. Uh, yeah. Are beans something that, as a survivalist, kind of, you want to grow? Yes. Especially in YouTube, there's all these people giving their opinion. But most common choices are the legumes, because they're protein-based. Start pieces would be cassava. 
Gee, but who could grow enough cassava in time? You know what I mean? That's like you'd have those giant roots. Uh, The the timing thing is an extremely crucial thing. We can't come from a place of fear, but if you start now, you'll have something in six to eight weeks. In fact, in the market today, the rush on seeds and starts was phenomenal. So about how many vendors do you expect on Saturday? A little over 100. Full range of produce. With people go there, they'll be able to stock their refrigerators with produce, Absolutely, guaranteed. Okay. The number of visitors is down by like 90%? Right. Here we are. This is so important. Farmers are our lifeblood here. The food that we have here, we have a tagline, we call it thousands of miles fresher. Many, many, many days fresher. I would like to see that the farmers become as powerful as the tourist industry. Hmm, can you imagine? Well, that was Neil Koshiver, manager of Upcountry Farmers Market there in Pukalani. Um, just talked to him a few minutes ago. The Upcountry Farmers Market is ready to roll. About 100 vendors tomorrow, 7 to 11 a.m., right up there in Pukalani. Here on Oahu, the neighborhood people's farmers markets are closed, but yesterday the city and and, uh, Hawaii Farm Bureau announced a farm-to-car program, people. Here's how that works. You order local farm products online, then pick them up in a drive-thru. Okay, how's that? The trial grab-and-go pickup site is the Eva side of NBC Exhibition Hall. That's between 10 and noon on Wednesdays. You can order online at HFBF. That's Hawaii Farm Bureau Federation, hfbf.org slash farm to car. This is supposed to start April 1st, so you can order online now or sometime soon. I was just there this morning, and that marketplace is sold out. They're adding more products, quote, shortly. Hey, but listen, people love the farm lovers markets on Saturdays in Kaka. Ako, Pearl Ridge, and Kailua. They will be pumping this weekend with full prevention measures in place. Chalk lines will mark limits. You touch, you buy. Some vendors will pick for you. And there's a listing of farmers you can call to pre-order and have everything bagged and ready to go. That's People's Farmers. That's Farmers Markets tomorrow, Saturday, 8 to noon, Kaka'ako, Pearl Ridge, and Kailua. These veggies were grown for us. Some food vendors are offering takeout, Check the, far- check the Farm Lover's Instagram or Facebook page for the latest. While we're on the topic of eating... Real Foodies Know, the world's 50 best restaurants listing. It engages the world's most celebrated chefs, critics, and gourmets. Recently, a kid born and raised in Liliha, KCC culinary grad, Andrew Wong, won the world's 50 best scholarship. Andrew moved to L.A. a couple years ago. He's been working at Auburn Restaurant for the BVVA World's Best Competition, He had to write all these essays, cook a meal on video, and do a personal interview. 1,100 chefs were vying for this chance to stage, you know, work with chefs in three stellar restaurants. Wong was scheduled to start in the 2019 World's Best Restaurant of the Year, Mirazur, in Menton, France. Yeah, it's amazing. It's 
it's going to be life changing for sure. What was the most difficult of those uh, tasks for you? <laughs> uh, absolutely making the dish itself. I definitely would not have been able to win without my roommate, my chef, everyone supporting me. What dish did you make? So I made a, a, a stuffed quail with a black trumpet mousse. Mm -hmm. So the black trumpet mushroom, a seasonal mushroom that you can forge in California. Was the quail from like right around there too? We got everything local from our, in our restaurant at Auburn. Cut to the chase oh. for us, Andrew. <laughs> what was this dish like? I really just wanted to make something like homey, um, something like that reminiscent of like, it was really more for me because like I haven't seen Lao Lao and uh, like a little pig. I haven't seen Poi in so long, a year and a half without having that stuff. I still need to make something that's representative of my roots, but so that people will understand out here. So I uh, just tried to make something that tasted like Lao Lao, but a little more upscale. So the caviar and tail root was just like fish and poi, but a little more upscale, of course, like using caviar and making it as smooth as espuma kind of thing. <laughs> uh, a tail root espuma. It's basically a puree. But yeah, it, it, it's like poi, but just a little more aerated, a little more fluffier. <laughs> now, how did you handle, actually, the quail? Uh, so it was whole, and then I just had to stuff it and then tie it together to make sure it doesn't explode with all the stuffing and cook it over uh, charcoal. I also compressed it with uh, kombu to make it a little more briny flavor. It tastes like a little seaweedy, but also earthy because of the the mushroom mousse is so earthy. It doesn't make a contrast. It's just like how Hawaiian food is very like land and sea kind of flavors. That's really strange to see you striving for these flavors in, in all these different ways. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't think I would have been able to do it two years ago. So, um, and I'm sure I'll, in two years from now, I'll still laugh. Like I'll laugh at it and be like, "Wow, I can't believe I did such a simple thing." But yeah, it's all it's all in the journey of cooking, of learning how to cook. Yeah. Well, and why do you think you were chosen? I guess I guess I have like the most compelling story because I really want to. What I want to do in the future is like come back at home and improve everything. I honestly like I I feel like people don't know how to cook at home uh, back home in Hawaii. For example, like a. Uh, there's this Instagram page, uh, Kalani High School Cafeteria, and they just post packaged food, like all the school lunches, the public school lunches are just so bad right now. You know, it's like packaged, like frozen pizza steaks, and like, it's celebrated, which is weird. I don't know. I just really want to come home and like, teach people how to cook, teach people how to eat, and try to improve the food community in general. You know what, Andrew? Auburn closed? Yes. Um... Actually, the entire city in L.A., you can't dine in into a restaurant. The majority of cooks in L.A. are unemployed right now. Owning a restaurant is like, the profit margins are so low, like maybe 1% to 3%. If you're not having customers, it's, it's, uh, it doesn't make sense to have employees working for you, which I, which I understand. That's why I'm not like mad or upset or anything. It's just an unfortunate event. Wait, did you say 1% to 3%? Yes. Restaurants don't make much money. Not much of a profit margin there. You're going to amazing restaurants in France, Cape Town, Bogota. Did you choose them? No, they were cho uh, they were chosen beforehand. Uh -huh, they're really uh, interesting. <laughs> Quite but, different. Um, I think it's just they wanted to give a sample of the world because it is the world's 50 best restaurants. When would that start? Do you know? The beginning of June, hopefully, if it, if it doesn't get postponed. Even right now, all those three restaurants that I am planning to work in are closed at the moment because of coronavirus. Yeah, boy, that was Andrew Wong, a native of Liliha, now a chef out in L.A. He's also the winner of the prestigious BVVA World's Best 50 Scholarship.
Los Angeles restaurants are closed through the end of the month, or, yep, through the end of March. And Andrew says solidarity in the restaurant industry is at an all-time high. The numbers are staggering, really. More than 98,000 people in Hawaii were employed in restaurant and related food service jobs until two weeks ago. It's incredible what's happened to this industry in such a short amount of time. Denise Yamaguchi is executive director of the Hawaii Ag Foundation. Some of the larger restaurants have been able to keep more of their employees. Some of the small ones have had to go down to bare bones and it's you know maybe a husband-wife situation. Going from an in-room dining restaurant to a takeout service or curbside delivery is incredibly hard. Tom Jones, chair of the Hawaii Restaurant Association, says an in-room dining restaurant would have to cut about 60% of worker hours and maybe more in a transition to takeout only. Yamaguchi says according to pandemic health regulations, sometimes only three to five people will fit in a kitchen. Most people don't know there are two sides of our food system. One that supplies the restaurants and the hotels and the other that supplies all the retail stores like Costco, Safeway, Times. Yamaguchi says on the restaurant and hotel side, there's a glut of surplus product because food service has almost disappeared. On the consumer side, there are bare shelves. Yamaguchi says the system is trying to coordinate, but there's tremendous loss throughout the industry supply chain. She's worried the supply system itself is in jeopardy. So it's not just about the restaurant suffering. It's about everybody in that food supply chain that's trying to figure out now what to do. And so what people can do is if they have the means, instead of maybe cooking every single night, maybe cooking every other night and going out and taking out every other night, that would really, really help our community here in Hawaii. Over 82,000 people filed for unemployment so far this month. More than 67,000 of these claims came in just this week as hotel and restaurant closings mounted. It's not known yet how many restaurants will attempt that takeout changeover, but you can bet the new regulations are going to have a huge effect on paper and plastic goods and supplies. Oh, what a great time to bring my own container and do that takeout, you say? Tom Jones chair of the Hawaii Restaurant Association, begs to differ. He says no restaurant can take the chance of cross-contaminating their kitchens. There's already a run on those takeout supplies, according to Chris Yankowski, president of Triple F, one of Hawaii's largest product distributors. He says many items fly out as soon as they arrive, and suppliers off-island are limiting allocations to distributors. If we order 10 pallets of product, they may give us two hand sanitizers and things, most of that is going to be out for probably 45 to 60 days because China makes those bottles and everybody who packs them over here, Purell and those guys, they're out of bottles. The same issue with toilet paper. Toilet paper is now to the stage that um, the converters who make the toilet paper are running out of raw materials. Is this the very situation hoarders were anticipating? Yeah, I guess if you look at it that way, I guess that's that's true. Taking a cue from experiences on the continent, Yankowski upped his orders for takeout food containers and paper goods, but they were there ahead of him. I'll give you an example. We asked for 680 cases of utensils. They're going to give us 168. So that's what's going on across the board with just about everything that we're ordering that has any relationship to the COVID. 
Yankowski says there are workarounds if paper goods become scarce, but again, it's the supply lines that we need to be sure are there when we come out of this. Over 73,000 people work directly in Hawaii's restaurants and eateries. Anyone looking to support their favorite restaurants, the Hawaii Ag Foundation has started Food Agogo. Check that website for over 600 restaurants still kicking it on all islands, except Lanai, I think. If you are a restaurant hanging in, offering takeout, delivery, or curbside, sign in. We'll look for you at foodagogo.org. Support for Hawaii Public Radio comes from the Scheidler College of Business at UH Manoa, offering the global MBA with 21-month, 24-month, and 36-month options. Scheidler.hawaii.edu. On the next Fresh Air, part two of our tribute to Stephen Sondheim, who turned 90 last Sunday. We'll listen to the interview we recorded in 2010 after the publication of his book, Finishing the Hat, which collects his lyrics from 1954 to 81 and includes the stories behind the songs. Join us. This afternoon at 3, following Science Friday. Support for The Conversation comes from the HPR Local Talk Show Fund, which helps Hawaii Public Radio sustain and grow its locally produced talk show programs. Mahalo to contributors Ekahi Health, Ulupono Initiative, and Impact Hub Honolulu co-working. Colonel Dr. Michael Lewis graduated from West Point, did graduate work at Walter Reed Medical Center and Johns Hopkins. Lewis coordinated infectious disease programs across Asia for the Department of Defense. He was at ground zero for both SARS and bird flu. I asked Dr. Lewis if there's anything people usually overlook that could help prevent COVID-19 infection. What don't you think about is your immune system. You know, as humans, we have pretty darn good immune systems when we can keep it healthy. And so I, I would say the one thing you, that's completely underestimated is that, you know, somebody that has a robust, healthy immune system is much, much less likely, even if they're exposed, to get this disease. I think that that's the biggest thing that people don't appreciate. Well, how do I keep my immune system healthy? Well, nutrition, you know, diet and exercise. So good nutrition, um, infections, viruses, inflammation, all thrive on sugars. So we really should be watching our sugar intake uh, instead of sitting around watching TV, eating cake and candy and muffins and the sugary things. We should really be focused on fruits and vegetables as our source of carbohydrates. Um, so eating healthy, um, you know, lean proteins, particularly seafood, uh, will help keep your immune system more fine-tuned. You know, there's certain supplements, vitamins and minerals that can be helpful. CBD, uh, like from hemp, derived CBD can be incredibly helpful to help support our immune system. Really? Is that proven? Is that medically accepted CBD helps improve your immune system? I didn't say improve. I said it can help support your immune system. Support. I'm I'm still back on those... um trying to think on the microbial level, the virus. So what are some 
simple things to do. Yeah, like, I, Michael, what about my clothes? Are my clothes just covered with germs when I get back to my house? They are anyway because you're out in the environment. You know, just by being in the world, you're exposed to things. That's why our immune systems function the way they do. One of the things that actually does concern me, and I think this is one of those unintended consequences, a lot of the country has gone to reusable bags, mm-hmm. but nobody ever cleans them. And so you're putting potentially fruits or vegetables that have been touched by other people, and you're putting them in a dirty bag to begin with. I think that's one risk that we underestimate. Hmm. What about rooms where maybe someone with an infection has been? Part of that is understanding how long these viruses last. The more porous a surface is... Like a dollar bill... More- Right. They, it's not going to last very long. It seems that this coronavirus lasts longer on like things like hard plastic and metal. Really? How, how long? You know, some of that's being worked out. Most recent thing that I've seen has been a couple of hours. And particularly anything that's exposed to sunlight and fresh air isn't going to last very long at all. Oh, really? This is all the more reason why we need to get outside and get your regular exercise and hopefully do it outside where you can get some fresh air and sunshine. Does heat destroy this virus? As far as we know, heat does destroy the virus, and sunshine has the added value. It helps our vitamin D levels, which helps support our immune system. You know, what about long-term outcomes from this? What do you think? Long-term, months to years, I'm much, much more worried about the economic and emotional impact of this. In the next year, we're looking at record number of personal bankruptcies, small businesses that go under, I'm not going to be surprised a year or so for now to see that we have an uptick in even suicides because of all the stress that people are being put under emotionally, financially, just being bombarded with this 24-7 news cycle. We don't want to hear about anything else, and yet it's absolutely frightening. Well, it is. But, you know, when we were kids, you got the morning newspaper and Walter Cronkite was on the evening news. And that was it. You know, there's not enough news to fill 24 hours. Put your phone down. Go for a walk in the woods or on the beach or go for a swim in the ocean. Do something that's going to benefit you from an exercise point of view, but also emotionally. Meditation and appreciation for what we have, all that can be combined with getting outside and exercising. Surfing, swimming, walking on the beach, getting fresh air and sunshine, I think are underestimated how valuable that is. Well, that's good news, right? Colonel Dr. Michael Lewis was a military infectious disease specialist, board certified in nutrition. He now works in the area of brain health. You heard Dr. Lewis saying how important nutrition, exercise, and sunshine are. Why not roll it all together in a garden? Let's check in with Fran Butera, founder of Foodscapes Hawaii. She does edible landscaping and has some tips on starting that garden, even on your lanai. How they can start is to take a really good look at the site that they're thinking about growing in and get a good grip on the sun pattern, the sun exposure, get a good sense of the wind. You don't want to be planting in a terribly windy space or a very dead space. Know that your space is close-ish to your house 
so that you can see it from where you are and you'll pay attention to it, but not mm-hmm. right up against your house and not so far away that you forget about it but, and not in a dangerous place, like down a slope that's hard to walk on, that kind of thing. So understand your site and then, you know, if you're, if you're new at this, just start small. Start with a 4 by 8 bed and some pots. Start small enough to have a good experience and then grow um, enlarge. What would you recommend to have a good experience with? I mean, I started one year with strawberries. Big uh-huh. mistake, friend, big mistake. They're a little fussy, and they, they take uh, a fair amount of time before you get any fruit. Number one easy in a wide range of conditions is herbs, basil, thyme, oregano, sage, chili peppers, mm. green onions, things like that. If you like to cook, you really should be growing your own herbs anyway because mm-hmm. they're so doggone expensive at the store. So then as far as the grocery store, the food plants, it depends a little on the time of year. In the wintertime when the weather's cooler, oh man, that's the time for greens. Your kale, your lettuces, all different kinds of lettuce, your bok choy, all your Asian greens, mizuna. Tatsoi? Um, oh yeah, tatsoi. Yeah, beautiful. Mm-hmm. So the leafy greens is cool weather. And then in the summertime, when the leafy greens become a, a little problematic because they they tend to run to seed and get bitter, you want to be transitioning to tomatoes and eggplants and okra, collards for a tough, uh, dirty green. And knowing this is the time of year to get started on that because this is just perfect for all those plants, those edibles that we enjoy that come originally from a temperate climate. Yeah, they start in the spring. Mm. And then they're coming into their own in the hot weather. So right. we're moving from cool to hot. So get those tomatoes and eggplants going. Get those hot peppers going. Okra? Some places, oh, okra, yeah, squash, cucumbers, beans. You know, yeah. can people ever grow enough of their own beans to even have a serving? You know what's the best bean for growing here I have found over many years of trying is lima beans. Mm. And, and yeah, and you, you, can, you can get a freezer full of lima beans um, from one crop very easily. And then you're going, okay, what do I do with all these lima beans? I hated lima beans growing up because mom served them to me out of the can. No, fresh lima beans are a blessing, and they grow so easily. Well, but help me on this one, Fran. Okay. What if I live in an apartment? Oh, boy. What do I do? We've done a number of condo and and so the main things that you have to consider are, number one, your access to water, and number two, your drainage. If you're lucky, you have a floor drain. If you are not lucky and you don't have a floor drain, you have to be really careful about how your water drains. And there's, there's ways to take care of it. Yeah, it's definitely doable. And what would you re- recommend planting in a, in a oh, condo? Well, again, a lot of it has to do with uh, exposure, the sun exposure. So uh, you can do herbs. You could have your entire lanai filled with herbs. I just came today from a, a condo lanai in Kailua. She's growing a lot of taro on hers in pots and on a planter that we built. <laughs> really, on a condo lanai? Yeah. Uh-huh. Yep. <laughs> oh, that's so heartening. <laughs> but, you know, people used to raise a lot more of their own food before. I mean, before everybody had a little patch of something in their yard, sure. I think. You know, during World War II, right, there were these victory gardens? The victory gardens, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's not unlike what we're going through now. It was a national crisis, the war, 
and the entire nation came together around this need to grow food and preserve the food supply. People from all walks of life just heeded the call. It was a patriotic duty to grow food, and it wasn't looked at as a chore or drudgery. It was looked at as an honor, something you're doing for your community, and you can see so many parallels Hmm. with that now, the need to come together as a community to, for one thing, guard against the shortages that could be in our near future, and for another thing, to keep food, fresh food on the shelves for people who have no choice but to shop, our first responders, our healthcare workers who are just just working so hard around the clock, all they can do is work and go shopping, and it just breaks my heart to think that people like that would go to a store and not be able to find fresh fruits and vegetables and like that's that's avoidable if we make the kind of effort that victory gardens call to mind you know Mm. that was fran butera her website foodscapes hawaii has a banner says so hope in uncertain times (laughs) hope and a few herbs will do a lot for dinner sure will we now look abroad for the latest updates from the bbc This is the Coronavirus Global Update on Friday the 27th of March. I'm Jackie Leonard with the latest on the pandemic. The British Prime Minister Boris Johnson has announced he's tested positive for the coronavirus. The Organisation for Economic Cooperation and Development has estimated that every month major economies spend in lockdown will cut growth by two percentage points. We begin with the news that the British Prime Minister Boris Johnson has tested positive for coronavirus. In a video, he outlined his symptoms. I've developed mild symptoms of the coronavirus, that's to say a temperature and a, a persistent cough. And on the advice of the chief medical officer, I've taken a test that has come out positive. So I am working from home. I'm self-isolating. The British Health Secretary Matt Hancock has also tested positive. Our political correspondent Jonathan Blake is at Westminster. These are the two key figures in government when it comes to leading the response to the coronavirus crisis. But both have been at pains to point out that this will not stop them doing their jobs. The Prime Minister will lead the response of government remotely from the flat above number 11 Downing Street via video conferencing and other forms of technology. And the Health Secretary, Matt Hancock, will be working from home. And we've heard that England's chief medical officer, Chris Whitty, is to self-isolate at home for the next seven days after experiencing symptoms compatible with COVID-19. My colleague Siobhan Leahy has had to go for a coronavirus test. She showed symptoms along with her flatmate, who is a paramedic. This is what happened when they arrived at an isolated car park in London. We've been told our car windows must be kept up and we're not allowed to leave the vehicle at any point. Uh, I have blown my nose, yeah. Okay, any cuts or and inside the mouth, any cuts or no? Mm-hmm. Okay, ulcers, no ulcers, mm-hmm. and no bleeding disorders that you're around. Mm-hmm. Okay, so it's going to be a bit uncomfortable. I'm going to go in the mouth first and then the nose, okay? Nice and wide and say ah. Ah, uh, ah. Uh. Good. Okay, you can roll the window up. Thank you. Thank you very much. Okay, so that's it, we're done. The medical professionals took swabs at the back of our throat and the top of our nose passages. That was Siobhan Leahy. 
The head of the Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development says many economies will fall into recession due to the coronavirus pandemic. And Gurria said that for every month of quarantine, there would be a 2% loss of annual growth for the world's major economies. The number of deaths from coronavirus in Spain continues to rise after the country's biggest daily toll so far, 769. One of the latest fatalities was 15 years old. Spain is Europe's second worst affected country after Italy. There, the authorities gave a daily total of those who died as 969 people. South Africa has reported its first deaths from COVID-19 as it begins a three-week lockdown. Andrew Harding reports from Johannesburg. Police here in Johannesburg were busy issuing warnings and making some arrests as the lockdown came into force. Thank you. Can I see your ID? Armed soldiers were also on patrol. By daybreak, some neighbourhoods were deserted, but elsewhere crowds have still been gathering at bus stations and shopping malls. Two women, one in her 20s, the other in her 40s, have become the first to die in South Africa after catching the virus. Nigeria is recalling disease control experts from abroad as part of measures aimed at controlling the outbreak there. Islam's three holiest mosques, usually packed with hundreds of thousands of worshippers, were quiet for Friday noon prayers because of the pandemic. At the Holy Mosque in Mecca, only two dozen members of staff and security services were allowed to attend the sermon. The Prophet's mosque in Medina was eerily quiet, except for the voice of the imam and his assistant. Prayers at Al-Aqsa Mosque in Jerusalem were suspended. Over the last few weeks, we have all become very aware of what we are touching and what other people have touched before us. So are takeaways and food deliveries safe? Our science correspondent, Victoria Gill. The first thing to state is that COVID-19 is not a foodborne disease um, and cooking would kill the virus anyway. So cooked food, you're pretty safe. What people might be concerned about, and it's, it's what people have been expressing concern about delivering, having parcels delivered, having groceries delivered as well, is anything that anybody else has handled. So if you want to be very careful, take the food out of the container, unspoon it into a clean dish with a spoon and throw away the packaging right away. That's it for now. This is the Coronavirus Global Update. Support for Hawaii Public Radio comes from the Honolulu Museum of Art, with a collection reflecting the cultural diversity of the islands and a commitment to presenting art and exhibitions that inspire. More at honolulumuseum.org. Response to the COVID-19 pandemic is affecting every sector of society, including the homeless. While there is statewide coordination, each island situation is a little bit different. Starting about a week ago, the state of Hawaii and Honolulu County issued policies to close public bathrooms in beach parks and small boat harbors. A grassroots homeless advocacy group, Hui Aloha, knew the impact would be tremendous. Co-founder James Koshiba says the unsheltered need those public bathrooms for water, sanitation, and hygiene. Because we had these relationships with folks on the street, we knew that it was going to create a pretty dire situation if those bathrooms were closed. They were closed? What happened? The impact that that had, the closing of bathrooms, was effectively to disperse encampments because when you close bathrooms off and people have no place to go for washing and sanitation, they get pretty desperate pretty quick. Where do they go? Well, 
Well, that's exactly the question. Some some um, move to shelters, which were not designed to keep people safe and healthy during an outbreak, and some scatter throughout the community looking for an alternative. And then what you have is people that are on the move at the very time when you don't want people on the move, according to the CDC, and you have people on the move who are not able to keep clean, who are not able to wash their hands on a regular basis, and who are forced to use the bathroom in, in public and in spaces that we're not designed for, which only increases the health risks. By, by closing the bathrooms, the city and the state have created a public health risk, and not just a health risk for the homeless members of our community, but for everybody. There are federal guidelines, though, right? Over the weekend, the Centers for Disease Control came out with very clear um, guidance for state and local governments on how to address the needs of unsheltered homeless folks during this outbreak. And what the guidance said was that um, existing encampments should be allowed to shelter in place and should not be dispersed. The CDC said specifically that they recommended that because when camps disperse, people tend to lose contact with service providers. That's not something you want to happen um, during an outbreak. The mayor did reverse course, right? He said that he would reopen the bathrooms. The mayor um, issued a statement, and that was Tuesday afternoon. But still, of the 60 or so that we were able to check, more than three-quarters remain closed today. And that was a report from James Koshiba yesterday. This morning, Hui Aloha and Partners in Care are again calling for the city to observe CDC guidelines. Find out more at the Hui Aloha website. Did you know there were 4,311 people without permanent shelter on Oahu, according to the 2019 point-in-time count? On Maui, which is 200 square miles larger, there is one-fifth the homeless population, 862 people. There, the Family Life Center, FLC, has been a bulwark for people in hard times. Maud Cumming is the den mother, the truly fearless leader of FLC. I gave Maud a call to find out how this COVID-19 situation is affecting her constituents. We're just talking about it today that it is business as usual. We're trying not to get uh, sidetracked uh, and realize that we are in the business of housing people. So that has not stopped. Mm-hmm. We continue uh, to actually increase efforts to move people into housing. And that way we um, make space in our shelters and also get people off of the street. What's the awareness out, out on the streets? You know, yesterday... <laughs> Yesterday, in fact, one of our clients on the street said, hey, we're not worried. Everybody going crazy, but us is okay. Hmm. <laughs> um, and so they all seem to be aware of it. This morning, I saw someone with a mask on, um, but otherwise, um, that was just one person. I haven't really seen a lot different. Um, what we are experiencing is now more people want shelter services because the parks are closed, so they can't go to the bathroom. Have sweeps uh, increased? Oh, right. Oh, they've got no, to... no, 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 no. They haven't. There's no. There's no sweeps going on. But right. it's just that the bathrooms themselves are closed. You know, so people uh, are more willing to come in, which I say is a good thing because some of them we. They've hidden. They've been hidden in cars. Um, We don't see them. We haven't seen them. So it's 
good that they're coming in because now we can service them. Have you had a large influx of people looking for services? Uh, we just kind of had a, had a steady stream. That's why we're working really hard to clear space in our shelter. Let's get them out. Let's get them out there so that, you know, as people come for shelter services, we'll have space. You know, because this is like on Oahu or other big cities, they're thinking like hundreds of people could need to be not just sheltered, but isolated, like in isolation. I don't really see that need here. I know I keep hearing that, but we don't have large encampments. And for the most part, our people on the streets stay to themselves. They interact only with their own small community. So Tuesday night, mm. there was someone that came from Michigan. He had lost his lease or something, and he thought he'd just come to Hawaii, where at least it was warm. And so we said, no, you need to go back home. Because he was out in the streets, he didn't have any money. So well, I said, I will pay for his whole flight, um, because I don't want him mm-hmm. interacting with our homeless population, just in case. Mm-hmm. And so last night, for $189, we got him on a United flight at 8 o'clock. Anybody mm-hmm. that we see is new, I am willing to pay for them to go back to the mainland, even though that is not normally the mm-hmm. way we do it. Sure. You have no sign but of COVID-19 amongst your homeless population thus far, No, right? no. And I want to keep it that way. So we believe that that's about the only way that that population is going to get infected. If somebody stops by and gives them food and doesn't isn't aware, or somebody comes in from the mainland. So that's one of the ways we're trying to present it. We are trying to look at all aspects. Gosh. We're calling landlords that we work with and saying, you know, are your tenants, have they been laid off? We don't make any promises, but I've been making a lot of inquiries to the state, to the county. How can we relax the, um, the rules so that um, we can assist people and trying to, trying to stay ahead of it? And, you know, families are telling us, well, now that the children are home, they're spending more money on food, so they need help with their rent. So we still have rental assistance money from all of our programs. Are there any support services for people who still have their housing? But, you know, when I'm talking about these people are just going to slide out. We're asking them to call us, and that's why we're calling landlords as well. Boy, am I glad you and your staff realize you're essential workers. My staff asked me, are we essential? I said, are you kidding? What (laughs) are you thinking? Of course we are. (laughs) <laughs> Are they ever? Maud Cumming is executive director of Maui's Family Life Center, Maui's primary homeless outreach agency. story of COVID-19 is those daily briefings of the White House Coronavirus Task Force. We used to take all of them live here on HPR, and we don't do that anymore. Here's HPR's news director, Bill Dorman, here to tell us a little more about why. Yeah, hi, Noe. Thank you. You know, these briefings have become a regular part of the daily news cycle, Uh or at least the Washington daily news cycle. And when they first started, we took them live. NPR provided special coverage, and here at HPR, we, we took the briefings, and we stuck with the coverage through the end, and appropriately so. Mm-hmm. You know, this is the President of the United States speaking to the American people at a time of national crisis. Mm-hmm. 
But the nature of these hearings started to drift a little bit over time. They lost that sense of urgency that really mm. demands live coverage. The briefings themselves wandered, but still these are important events. The opportunity not only to hear the president, but people like Dr. Anthony Fauci, the director of the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases, Dr. Deborah Burke, she's the response mm-hmm. coordinator for the White House Corona Task Force. And for us at HPR, a big part of this was the ability to have NPR's special coverage, not only to identify who is at the podium for our listening audience, but also for the analysis that goes with that, the ability to fact check, to say, well, actually, mm-hmm. that's not entirely correct. can't emphasize how important that is on the, the curated nature of news on public radio really goes to that. Mm-hmm. So... At any rate, earlier this week, NPR decided to stop its hosted coverage of the briefings. And instead, it offered the raw audio coming from the White House briefing room. And we talked about this, we being our news editor, Sandy Oshiro, our president general manager, Jose Fajardo, and me. And in making this call, I just want to be clear, this is not about politics. This is not about silencing the president, anything like that. It's about live coverage on our air on our radio. Mm -hmm. And we decided to keep the briefings live by way of our website. So if our listeners, our online users want to hear this live as it happens, they can do that still. But we stopped carrying them live on our air, as, as you mentioned. Again, not a political statement. It's about our airwaves at Hawaii Public Radio and live coverage. Now, the time on these briefings also has shifted. At one point, they were during morning edition, our time, midday East Coast time. Now they're later in the afternoon, Washington time. So, in fact, they actually take place during during this hour, right, right, right now, during the conversation. Um, but NPR does continue to cover these. Uh, as you know, you'll get the highlights right, to, right after uh, the conversation on All Things Considered. And, mm-hmm. and, of course, you get updated news through NPR during the afternoon as well as BBC at 1. So we're not blocking. We're not censoring. We're just not taking these live to air. Mm. What have you heard from listeners on this? So it's interesting. In this time, I think also in part of reduced staffing at the workforce uh, here at the office, we don't, uh, I get a lot more phone calls from listeners than (laughs) uh, a lot of times our front desk would get them during business hours plus Uh emails. And if you've left me a message and I haven't responded yet. I apologize. But this was an item of interest for a lot of folks. Mm-hmm. Um, and some have noted that other stations have done that. KUOW, Seattle, WNYC, among others in New York have stopped carrying these live. Some other stations are continuing, but we do appreciate hearing from our listeners and, uh, and our members as well. Thank you so much for explaining that, Bill. Really, it was interesting. A little behind the scenes. You bet. Bill Dorman is the news director at Hawaii Public Radio. Support for The Conversation comes from the HPR Local Talk Show Fund, which helps Hawaii Public Radio sustain and grow its locally produced talk shows. Mahalo to contributors The Rice Partnership and PCAT, Pacific Center for Advanced Technology Training. Cancellation of the Merry Monarch Festival hit the hula community hard. It hit all of us hard and the amazing makers who participate in the Companion Hawaiian Arts Fair. Wahine Toa is one of the designers who would cause a small kind riot over there because otherwise you had to call Nita and go to her house in Kona to get her things or wait for a pop-up in Honolulu. I just talked to her 
As a result now, she's just uh, selling some things at Island Breeze in Kona, and her website is up. And have you seen another local fashion brand, Kealo Pico's new like spokesperson, Anakake Mary Bele, <laughs> dancing and tossing around her quarantini? Thank you, Kealo Pico. And I know you'll be missing that hula, so you can still get all the Merry Monarch 2020 merch on their website. You can wear your T-shirt and watch the 2019 DVD. It's all at MerryMonarch.com. Hey, it's Aloha Friday, <laughs> and we've never had another one like it. Coming next week, all we know is we're in this together. We'd like to hear from you. Call our talkback line and leave a message. Here's the number. 808-792-8217. Email us at talkback at hawaiipublicradio.org. We love your comments on Facebook, tweet us, or get on Instagram. The conversation's produced by Lillian Zong, Harrison Patino, Jason Ubai, and Russell Subiono. Backyard Quiz by John DeMello. Our show's theme is courtesy of Gypsy 808. Catherine Cruz will be back next week. I'm Noe Tanigawa, here for the Aloha Friday Conversation. Let's take care of each other and meet again Monday for more of the conversation.